Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. And Jim, we thought this could happen soon. I'm a little surprised that happened this soon, but uh, we suggested yesterday we'd talk about Elon Musk buying Twitter when Elon Musk actually buys Twitter. And Elon Musk has now bought Twitter. Uh, yesterday, uh, depending on the report you see, it could be 43 or $44 billion. Jim, that's a little bit out of our price range, but uh, this is a good piece of news for a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, he's promising to bring free speech back to the platform. In his statement yesterday, he says free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I guess he's following different people than I do. They debate other things. But I also want to make Twitter, he says, better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots, and authenticating all humans. Twitter has potential. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. So he wants broader speech, free speech, open exchange of ideas. That's a great thing. Uh, the left, they don't love it so much. Uh, yesterday, Jen Psaki was at the White House talking about how uh, anything bad that happens as a result of uh, uh, tech platforms, needs to they need to be held accountable. Over at CNN, Brian Stelter is worried about more freedom. Look, who knows? I, I think that's a... a, that's a that's a, an example of a broader question for Twitter, which is, if you, uh, if you get invited to something where there are no rules, where there is total freedom uh, for, for everybody, do you actually want to go to that party? Or are you going to decide to stay home? And that's a question for Twitter users. Pretty sure there's not going to be no rules. It's just not going to be as one-sided as before. Speaking of which, Ari Melber over at MSNBC, Jim, I think this is the best clip of the day, where he's worried that Twitter now might put its thumb on the scale politically. If you own all of Twitter or Facebook or what have you, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't even have to be transparent. You could secretly ban one party's candidate or all of its candidates, all of its nominees, or you could just secretly turn down the reach of their stuff and turn up the reach of something else. And the rest of us might not even find out about it till after the election. Elon Musk says this is all to help people because he is just a free speech, philosophically clear, open-minded helper. Jim, if we were doing a skit about how the left would react, I think that would have been considered over the top by some people. So what do you make of both the schadenfreude as well as what Musk is actually doing here? Uh, the first thought I, I, I have, you know, it's almost like my suitcase. There's a lot to unpack here. Uh, Ari Melber saying that, you know, God, Elon Musk could use the power of Twitter to quietly suppress certain ideas or stories or candidates or people and use the platform to promote other ones. Um, I mean, just imagine, Greg, what if like one of the presidential candidates, let's say, had a son who was involved with shady business partners and his laptop showed up somewhere. What would it be like if Twitter just said, you're not allowed to read that story? Except that actually happened. <laughs> Secondly, I think judging by the comment from Brian Stelter, um, Greg, is it possible Brian Stelter's never been invited to a party? <laughs> well, if you're going to have a party, it always comes with a list of rules. Does it? Really? Is it BYOB is roughly the, maybe there's a dress code, you know, uh, but by and large, no parties don't. <laughs> but you, if you're invited to a party, people kind of trust you to behave yourself. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody will be 
behaves badly and you have to throw out. But most people, if you're getting invited, people know you're, you, there's an expectation you know how to behave. And finally, before we go any further, I want to discuss uh, the comment about the reference to Twitter as the digital town square. Noah Rothman, I think, writes over at Commentary, really took this to town. I think a very, very, very good, simple point. Um, if you want to be active in your metaphor in, in the real life town square, right? let's say you have something in your town, your community, your city that you want to change. Well, generally, the people have the power to change it if it's any type of government policy will be the city council or the town council. And you can go up and show up and you can speak, but you have to wait your turn. Uh, you, if you just show up yelling and screaming and, and you know, all that kind of and swearing and all that kind of stuff, you're not going to get much. You're not going to get very far. They'll throw you out. But what's more, if you really want to get something done, you kind of have to be invested in that community. People have to know who you are. People, you know, you have to try to go out and persuade people. You have to communicate people. You have a stake in that community. None of the people on Twitter really have that much of a stake on it. You just show up and you put out what you want to say. No, there is no, like, it's not, the parallel doesn't really work. And the other comparison I kept getting from people when I was, you know, I was saying, yeah, you know, Elon Musk could do some good here. And people were saying, Jim, Twitter is now like a public utility. Like, really? <laughs> Let's say you have a really extremist viewpoint. Let's assume you have a viewpoint, not just that some, you know, progressive lefty thinks is bad, but that a whole bunch of people think is bad. If you do it here in Virginia, does Dominion Energy turn off your electricity? If you have a controversial view, does the local water company take it, turn it off? Does uh, uh, natural gas get turned off? If you no, the, the better the comparison doesn't work at all, right? You know, this, so no, it's not a public utility. And if it was, you know, if we want to treat it that way, if you want to turn it into that, fine. But that's not what it is, and it's not what it's ever been. Generally, I, I'm more optimistic about Musk having a good impact now than I was 24 to 48 hours ago. And my sense was, okay, I, I think he's got his heart is generally in the right place. Um, I don't love his close relationship with Chinese government, but I think he'll probably, uh, he, if he means what he's saying, then we're going to see a lot more freedom of speech and a lot more, a lot less of the nonsense, like the banning of the Babylon Bee and stuff like that. And the people who accidentally have their accounts shut down for 24, for, you know, days or weeks at a time. But I also, but people have noticed this morning, lots of folks on the right have said that they've gained, in some cases, hundreds, in some cases, thousands, in some cases, some people were saying like tens of thousands of new followers overnight. That's weird. I don't know if that means that they flicked a switch and that a whole bunch of followers who had been suppressed or disconnected are resuppressed. Nobody's ever really definitively proven uh, shadow banning is the phrase. But there have been plenty of times, I think I did one a couple of weeks, uh, a couple years ago, where Ted Cruz was putting stuff out and it was getting like, uh, he had a, a roughly equivalent number of followers, actually more followers, I think, than Kamala Harris, who was a senator at the time. And he would get like 40 retweets. And everything Kamala Harris put out there was getting like 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 retweets. To say nothing of all the people who obviously went out and purchased followers, I think Charles Blow, the New York Times, had this very suspicious pattern of accounts that only retweeted his stuff and all use the same wording and stuff like that. So there's obviously been a lot of gamesmanship going on on that. The fact that people are seeing this kind of immediate impact, God, maybe maybe Twitter really has been messing with us this whole time. Maybe it really has been uh, artificially promoting certain stories and artificially suppressing certain stories. And if that's the case and Elon Musk can fix that, psh, well, it's going to make a heck of a lot better. I do think that I don't know if a year from now or two years from now, Elon Musk will be as interested in the day-to-day -day workings of Twitter. He's still going to be running SpaceX. He's still going to be running Tesla Motors. And considering his personality, there's an excellent chance that sometime between now and you know 2025, let's say, some other great challenge will probably capture his imagination. He seems like a guy who 
uh, always is moving on for the next big thing. So I, I'm interested to see how much of an impact he has on Twitter. I think if he doesn't make qu- changes quickly, um, then I think the odds he may eventually move on to something else that's more uh, capturing his imagination. But by and large, you know, welcome Elon. Uh, good luck. There's a lot of improvements to be made, and uh, he might be just the right guy to do it. He'll probably be telecommuting from his office on the moon by the end of the decade, by the way things are going here. But, uh, Jim, I mean, Musk has basically said all along, and yes, he tweaks uh, the left at times on Twitter as he has uh, made this push for free speech. But basically, he said, I want broader free speech. Why is the left freaking out so much? I think in a way, Twitter became a game for them, right? Somebody says you have somebody you don't like. And so you go through their tweets and you look for something that can be used against them. Uh, in the case of Libs of TikTok, you just, if, they're, if they're anonymous, you want to expose their identity. But the other thing, like, Twitter has always been in this weird um, semi-public, semi-private world in which people will, you know, their, their first reaction to something, right? They'll, they'll, they'll say something intemperate or fly off the cuff or something like that. And once you do that, maybe you forget about it, but they go back through your mentions and all that. They find it. Aha! And then they bring it up and they try to use that to cancel you. Now, the thing is, everybody, almost everybody in the whole wide world loses their temper or says something stupid or does something stupid. Uh, teenagers do this all the time. And so the thing is, is that, you know, that by itself, that's not the sort of thing. But Twitter and the Internet and social media makes it permanent, creates it. You know, the old saying in warning in high school, this will go on your permanent record. And then, you know, when you want to get into the Shady Acres retirement home, like, nope, I'm sorry. This is on your permanent record from high school and not allowed in here. Um, and I think Twitter has kind of become this permanent record and certain progressives on the left have become really, really good at weaponizing that and figuring out ways to, hmm, someone said something we didn't like. How can we get them in trouble? Maybe people on the left just need to get an X chair because maybe the uh, reason they're in such a dyspeptic attitude is that they're just uncomfortable. Not only are they uh, worried about uh, having to read opinions they might not agree with, perish the thought, uh, but maybe they're just sitting on a lousy chair all day long. And by the time they get to stuff in the evening, you know, they're just really grumpy. So help them out, Jim. From the first moment I sat in my X chair, my body immediately said, ah, now this is what a real office chair is supposed to feel like. I never actually look forward to sitting in my office until I got my X chair. Now, can your current office chair give you a massage while you're working? My X chair can do that. Can your current office chair heat up or cool down? My X chair can do that too. It's all in the LMAX massage and temperature regulation, which is exclusively designed and made for X chair. And once you feel the customized support of the X chair's patented dynamic varial lumbar, or DVL, you'll never be happy in any other chair again. High performance, quality engineering, extreme comfort. These are all the reasons I love my X chair. Now I can't wait to be at work. And sometimes even if I'm not working, I just sit in my X chair just to get that feeling. Take my advice, try the X chair for yourself risk-free for 30 days. Once you realize how much better your chair should be, you'll never go back. I promise. Go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR for $100 off your order. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 per month. One more time, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And, of course, 
you and I and many others have been pushing for increased production of American energy. Uh, it'll bring costs down for energy itself and, of course, the cost to move things around, which relies on energy. This administration, however, has very little interest in that. And the latest evidence is John Kerry, the president's climate envoy and a favorite of ours here on the Three Martini Lunch and a favorite of Jim's going all the way back to the 2004 campaign. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reporting that Kerry just a few months ago said he could see natural gas being a bridge fuel. And as the Wall Street Journal says, apparently he meant a bridge to nowhere. On Thursday, he sentenced the industry to death in 10 years, no matter if renewable energy sources won't be able to replace natural gas by then. Here's the quote, and I'll spare you my impression today. We have to put the industry on notice. You've got six years, eight years, no more than 10 years or so, within which you've got to come up with a means by which you're going to capture emissions. And if you're not capturing, then we have to deploy alternative sources of energy, Kerry told Bloomberg TV. Can someone come up with a way, the Wall Street Journal says, to capture and bury Mr. Kerry's emissions? So, um, Jim, uh, natural gas seems like the answer to a lot of the concerns when it comes to uh, emissions and fossil fuels and uh, bridge to future fuels, if they're even going to work. Why is Kerry declaring war on natural gas? Well, listeners, Greg may be sparing you his John Kerry impression. <laughs> but I will not. And let me put it for you very straightforward, Greg. Now, some people accused me back in 2004 of being a flip-flopper. You may remember that uh, ad of George W. Bush having me in a windsurfer and going back and forth, changing direction, whichever way the wind blows. But I am here right now to give you a very clear ultimatum. We will do away with natural gas in six years. Or eight. Or, or maybe 10, but at some point. But the point is I'm drawing a firm line in the sand <laughs> that we can brush away and push back a little bit further if we want. That's the firmness I'm associating. People might be saying, well, why do we do this? The answer is very simple. Russia in, is a giant source of natural gas and Europe is dependent upon it and lots of countries are dependent upon it. And that is what is fu you know, fueling the Russian war machine. Therefore, this is the best time possible for the United States to cut back on its natural gas production. You know, it's the single best way we can empower Russia. Oh, we don't want to empower Russia. Oh, I'm sorry, I stand corrected then. I, I was just lunching with Assad like my old habit did. And I, yeah, so anyway, so there I go. Um, yeah, like here, even if you wanted to get rid of natural gas, which neither you or I do, and a lot of people would say, look, out of all the fossil fuels, it's probably the cleanest, particularly US natural gas. We wanted to get the world less dependent on Russia. Now is not the time for us to be talking about reducing our production of this. Um, if you want the world to no longer be as dependent on Russia, you've got to give them alternatives. My argument was always like, look, you know, never mind worry about enforcement of sanctions, which is always challenging because there are a lot of rogue regimes and a lot of shady characters around the world who are more than happy to work around the sanction if it ends up with a bigger paycheck for them. If you undersell Russia, you don't have to worry about enforcement of sanctions. Nobody's going to buy more expensive energy when they have the option of less expensive. We could be that supplier. But apparently we don't want to do that. Or, you know, at least in the case of John Kerry, we can't do that because of, you know, the, the spotted owls. You know, so <laughs> that's where we are. And uh, wait, uh, the only upside to this bad martini, Greg, is I don't think anybody really listens to John Kerry anymore. <laughs> well, I hope not. I certainly hope not. It was a few weeks ago, I think. Rob Long was here in, in your place, and uh, New York State was pushing legislation to ban gas hookups in new construction starting in 2027. So this is a multifaceted war on natural gas. And when you consider, like you said, it's the cleanest burning of the fossil fuels, they, won't, they don't want even that, and they won't touch nuclear. 
you have to wonder how serious they are about actually having enough energy to go around because, as we know, the renewables are nowhere close. All right. But we do have good news because you can rest easy on your MyPillow sheets, your pillow itself, and, of course, you can enjoy the fantastic towels. Nothing beats the feel of a luxurious towel when you step out of the shower. Uh, once again, I have nothing but good things to say about the MyPillow six-piece towel set, whether it's the washcloth, the hand towel, or the uh, bath towel itself. And you can still get the phenomenal deal. Usually, the six-piece towel set is $109.99 and now just $39.99 a set. Listeners, geography test. Where is the cotton used in the MyPillow towels grown? You know the answer. Right here in the United States. Now, some other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well. Or maybe they absorb well, but they don't like, you don't like the way they feel in your skin. They've got that lotion-y feel. Well, every MyPillow towel is made from proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. And these towels are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and they come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now. It's been a while since we talked about Evan McMullen. You know, he was the uh, conservative who then decided to run for president as an independent back in 2016. Thought he might be able to steal Utah away from Donald Trump. Didn't exactly come close. But Evan McMullen is back. He is running for Senate in Utah now, uh, trying to unseat two-term Republican Mike Lee, who is up this year. Uh, McMullen once again running as an independent. Yet a curious thing happened uh, in recent days, and that is that the Democratic Party in Utah decided to kick its own candidate to the curb and support Evan McMullen. So if you're Kale Weston, you're not too happy about that. But here's the really crazy part. Because uh, you can perhaps understand the Democrats getting behind a theoretically more electable candidate, although when you look at the track record of Evan McMullen in the last few years, you might want to reconsider that. But McMullen is now telling people, Jim, through his spokesman, that if he's elected to the Senate, he's not going to caucus with the Republicans, and he's also not going to caucus with the Democrats. So as I said in our email today, he's either clearly lying or he's just really not very bright because if you're not caucusing with either party, you're not going to get a whole lot done. Greg, I can already hear lots of listeners urging, just kind of yelling at their their phones or their computers or tablets or whatever they're listening to this podcast on. Greg, Greg, embrace the healing power of and. <laughs> he's both an idiot and he's lying at the same time. Um, in part because... The first question is, like, at next time he does an interview, remember when candidates did interviews? Apparently you've decided, oh, I'm going to run for Senate. I never have to do interviews again. Um, the the, the ask question, well, who are you going to vote for to make majority leader? Or are you just going to be blank? You're just not going to say what. It's going to be either Chuck Schumer or Mitch McConnell. And, you know, whether or not you choose to caucus with one of the two parties, that vote is arguably the most important vote you're going to have. Uh, you know, a lot of people think Republicans will take control of the Senate. I do, too, although I'm starting to get a little nervous about some of those Rust Belt states. 
Um, but all in all, like this, you know, you, you don't get to say present on that one. You know, you got to pick somebody. And that could very well determine control of the Senate or certainly uh, improve, increase the majority or minority by a, a, a by one vote. Secondly, uh, you know, I, I mean, the moment he said this, anybody who was familiar with Capitol Hill said, well, then you're not on any on any committees <laughs> because you're not. The Republicans aren't going to want you on this committee and the Democrats aren't going to want you on this committee. So you're just going to sit there and, you know, wait for votes to be on the, on the floor or something like that. So it, it's an utterly unrealistic thought. I don't know if Evan McMullen is stupid. Yes, listeners, I can hear you yelling at, the, at your devices. Yes. Uh, or I don't know whether he thinks Utah voters are stupid. It could very well. Again, once again, it could very well be both. Um, but I think this is the this is almost a placeholder position. At some point, he's going to be forced to do this. And by the way, Utah voters, if Evan McMillan refuses to say, I think there's an excellent chance he would vote to make Chuck Schumer uh, the next Senate Majority Leader, because if he's comfortable voting for a Republican, he would tell you. In Utah, that's, that's an easy decision. Anytime they don't want to tell you the answer, it's probably the one they don't want you the answer you don't want them to hear. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you nailed it. He's going to vote for at least Chuck Schumer to be the nominee. And he's to be like the other independents in the Senate, Angus King and Bernie Sanders. Uh, that's exactly how it's going to end up. Because if he ends up winning this race, which I still think is doubtful, then uh, who's he going to have to thank for it? It's going to be uh, disgruntled, uh, a few disgruntled Republicans, maybe a few independents, and a lot of Democrats. And uh, right now, with the uh, the tea leaves, I would assume Mike Lee has a pretty good chance of winning a third term, and I certainly hope he does. Jim, I don't know what our streak was of not talking about Evan McMullen, but it's like one of those workplace accident signs. we got to put it back to zero we now. set it back to zero. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on that note, uh, let's hope we never have to find out what Evan McMullen's caucusing decision is. And we'll uh, join you again tomorrow. See you then, Jim. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell a friend about us as well. Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Those help a lot with search results and other things online. And uh, please uh, remember also to get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us again on Wednesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. The mainstream media just doesn't cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York from The Byron York Show. In the latest episodes, I discuss how Americans are putting pressure on the current administration as inflation continues to rise, how Biden's approval ratings are still dropping, and there are talk, there's talk about U.S. troops being sent to Ukraine after statements from Biden's close friend and Senator Chris Coons. Don't forget to download and subscribe my daily No Chit Chat podcast, Politics to Public Issues. Don't shy away from the truth. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.